0: Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing game designer Laurie O'Connell, the creator of Death Game. Laurie's TTRPG work covers a wide, wide range of subjects, from the weird to the unsettling. He's most known for his work Lichcraft, a game about trans necromancers seeking immortality to reach the end of an NHS waiting list, and Hieronymus, a game based on the artwork of Hieronymus Bosch. His latest work, Death Game, is a narrative-driven tabletop role-playing game, when the characters compete in a high-stakes battle for survival. Inspired by the battle royale genre, which includes media like Hunger Games, Squid Game and Alice in Borderlands, players will pick up characters struggling against all the odds for victory. As the number of competitors narrows and the stakes grow higher, you'll play until one of you wins and the rest of you die. I really enjoyed talking to Laurie about his work and really value his thoughts on game design. Death Game feels incredibly apt just now, when we think about how many of these battle royale and social deduction shows are being produced and shown around the world. As Laurie says, it just seems to be the perfect genre to be made into a tabletop RPG. Death Game was successfully funded earlier this month, but if you sign up to Laurie's newsletter, see the link in the show notes, you'll get notified when late pledges will open so you don't miss out. I'll put a link to where you can find more about Death Game and Laurie's other work on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. So we'll just start off nice and easy. I just would like you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, who are you and what do you do?
1: Hi, I'm Laurie O'Connell. I'm a London-based role-playing game designer. And yeah, that's pretty much all there is to know about me. <laughs>
0: You're so modest, Laurie. You're like an any award-winning designer. You create so many amazing games. So what drew you to role-playing games to begin with? And then what was the transition to go from playing them or running them into going into game design?
1: Initially, I started really playing role-playing games just pre-COVID. And basically what it was, was that my university there was like a role-playing games society and my best mate begged me to run some games because he couldn't find enough DMs. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, over COVID, I think everyone got really into hobbies. And one of the things that I've always really struggled with is finding a creative expression, which is also social, Mm-hmm. trying to fuse those two things and I really enjoy kind of thinking about how people interact with each other so mm-hmm. writing role-playing games is really a kind of a natural segue mm-hmm. a little bit less I suppose kind of abstract than writing novels mm-hmm. but still kind of getting at like that creative urge that everyone had and that kind of desire for escapism and self-expression that was kind of inculcating when we were all in lockdown.
0: So when you say your friends sort of begged you to be to yeah. GM. Was that the first time you GM'd, or were you, I mean, I guess, what was the reason that they asked you? Because it was, it. are you a performer? Is that the, what sort of background is that?
1: No, I think I, I GM'd once before because hmm. I'd been really interested in it and I'd listened to a few actual plays and I was thinking like, well, I can actually do this. Like it doesn't seem that hard. And then I think I basically just very confidently said I could do it. Um, which wasn't actually the case I didn't actually know what I was doing but I didn't want to reveal that once I've said that once I'd said to my friend oh yeah no like (laughs) IDM I I can do that after that I was kind of committed to the bit Mm -hmm. Um, and so I over time I learned but kind of getting shoved from like Running games at kind of like queer games nights or with friends where it's really kind of low commitment, uh, low difficulty into like a university society where some people have quite intense understandings of how certain games should be played mm-hmm. was definitely a really interesting experience for me. I definitely had to learn to hold my own
0: yeah. quite
1: quickly, but also I am the kind of person that learns by doing. Mm-hmm. So I was able to grasp the like, you know, I was able to grasp what I should be doing kind of in the heat of
0: the moment, really. I love that, should be doing. I mean, there's no, really, there's no right way of doing it. But yeah. I love that that idea of like, you know, I've said it now, I have to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think that's so important, like, because often people don't GM or don't want to because they're worried about getting it wrong. So I like the fact you said you've already made this big claim. And then you're like, oh, no consequences, uh, which is all, all good. So did you start with uh, D&D then? Or, or was it other systems?
1: So yeah, I started with D&D, but I very quickly got interested in other systems and specifically indie systems, mm-hmm. mainly because I kind of fell in with a group that was very interested in kind of like tossing around different kind of systems and dice mechanics and things like that. I started on games of D&D and actually I did find, as you said, they seem a lot more overwhelming than they actually are Mm -hmm. once you actually get into it you realize that there's a lot of things you can kind of take away Mm -hmm. and you can kind of chill out on and the most important thing that I've ever had whilst GMing is just communication skills Mm -hmm. just being able to kind of communicate what's going on really clearly really concisely, without you know taking people down the garden path too long Mm -hmm. and if you can do that I find people are really forgiving
0: yeah, that's the thing is that because ultimately you're there to help facilitate a game, and you know you're equally a player at the table. I always mm-hmm. think that you're not like some person; it's not an us versus them mentality, really. Yeah. And you're you're there to help facilitate this experience and make sure everyone's having a good time, and equally you should have a good time. And so it's it's nice to sort of think about that rather than being like I must perform, I must put on a show. I don't think that's the case at all. Going on to like your actual writing, then, like you said, it's, it was sort of a, a creative outlet for you, which then is obviously developed into your own sort of a business, which is absolutely really exciting. And your games, they're not d at all. I know obviously we can go on to Cage Goddesses in a second. Where do you get your inspiration for your games? Do you start off with like, I don't know, looking for through media stuff like that? Or is there like an issue that you really want to process through, if you see what I mean?
1: I would largely say my games are supposed to reflect our world. Mm -hmm. So I try not to kind of fall too deep into escapism with any of my games. And I've written like fantasy Mm -hmm. and I've written urban fantasy and I've written kind of like modern stuff and I've written Arthurian stuff. But they're always trying to kind of pull up a part of my experience as a game designer, which maybe seems a little bit egotistical, but I've always found it's easier to communicate something that you feel or that you're passionate about Mm -hmm. through the means of a game. So, for example, my first game, Lichcraft, was basically a satire, like a political satire based on how long the NHS waiting lists are for trans healthcare. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be funny to make like a little game where... You are trying to achieve immortality in order to get to the end of one of these fucking waiting lists. And of course, like everyone at the time was so frustrated with just healthcare, the state of the country. And it was still the UK was still at that point where you could still make a satire out of it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just completely descended into satire itself yet. So I kind of drew a lot of inspiration from that. But then even some of my more kind of fantasy or kind of magical games, for example, Hieronymus, Mm. which is a game that's based on art, is based on a medieval artist called Hieronymus Bosch, who was very iconic Mm -hmm. in multiple senses of the word is really about kind of like the experience of the collapse of feudalism mm-hmm. and what it must have felt like for people living through that time. So even though it's kind of themed around these paintings and you're going on this hex through hell, it's actually kind of about an emotion that I think is very close to people's hearts today, which is you're kind of in a world that feels like it's falling apart. And how do you navigate that?
0: Having games that are at its heart about emotions and drives and that sort of sense, and like you said, pulling from the real world, I think that is so important, because a lot of times people go, I play role playing games to escape, I play role playing games to not be a part of this life, and I think that's obviously absolutely valid, but it's interesting to play games to explore those feelings. I know there's always that thing like, you know, RPGs, are therapy, etc. And that's true to an extent, but I think it's just being able to play and create unique stories, but using the time to really think about and reflect on, you know, why... Do we feel like this? You know, what would we happen if we were in that uh, situation? About, so like you said in Hieronymus, that idea of like you are fleeing from this terror. Not all of us will experience like that in real life, you know. Hopefully, but that being able to experience that game, and like really get to see other people and empathize, really, when we see awful things that are happening around the world and so i do think our role-playing games have a space for that obviously you know with session zeros and stuff I make sure you're okay to explore those things and i wish more people would see role-playing games like that rather than just like the hack and slash of it and yeah going back to litchcraft as well i worked on a, a trans healthcare uh, online course with our content team at our university and obviously absolutely shocking all the stats and stuff like that and i know you know this as well but being able to translate those frustrations and like almost like the facts of what's going on into an accessible game that you could play with people rather than just here's all the information which people might not take in they feel like oh this is too much for me but playing it for a game so that they can experience and simulate those feelings i think that's such a powerful way of describing issues so uh, yeah that's that's what i thought when i was reading it through i was just like yeah, this feels like something that we would encourage people who aren't sure about certain transitions, and certainly trans healthcare, which is such a hot topic right now, as you said, in the UK, being able to play through a game to understand why people are frustrated about it and go through that rather than just give them like all the facts as just another way to sort of educate I guess yeah
1: and I think like Litchcraft isn't necessarily the most serious of games right no. it's, it's a serious issue but it deals with it in a very light-hearted manner and I think part of it was actually you know some things you just have to laugh about them and we speak about issues so often in this very serious tone mm-hmm. but there are multiple kind of ways of communicating that information and I think yeah the same with Hieronymus. like you know it's not supposed to be a lecture on mm. like the collapse of the feudal order and the nature of the Christian Reformation and uh, the nature of absolutism and all of that but it's supposed to kind of yeah tell you okay like this is maybe a feeling that you yourself have encountered this feeling mm. of like well I'm not really sure what comes after this mm-hmm. and you know what do you do with it because I really have a strong opinion that. You can make art that has a political standpoint, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to push, right? You you should have that come out through play and through kind of the experience of the people at the table. And especially if you're making interactive art, there's no point in giving people a recipe of exactly what you want them to feel. It's about giving them kind of the tool set to feel those feelings uh,
0: So when it comes to designing a game, so say you've got like what you want to aim for, where do you kind of start in terms of mechanics? You know, is it character creation? Is it sort of the more overarching things about the mood and stuff like that? Where do you start, I guess, when you're trying to create a game?
1: It really does depend on the game. So for some, I really, my kind of origin story as a a game designer was forged in the dark design. Mm. Things that trace their heritage from kind of Blades in the Dark by John Harper. And by that, I mean... D6 pools, you know, clocks and fewer skills and kind of stress mechanics and things like that. If I have a game that's very, I guess, like high concept, sometimes I just start there because I want the mechanics to be as stripped back as possible. Then there are other games where actual mechanic design really functions like as a part of the experience of the setting itself. Mm -hmm. So I would put my like tarot-based RPGs in there. Mm -hmm. So I have two tarot-based RPGs. They're both Arthurian. Mm -hmm. One's solo, one's a group game, one's an Arthurian spousal abandonment simulator, (laughs) one's about kind of escorting a knight through like a haunted forest. And in both of these cases, like, The experience of drawing tarot cards is meant to kind of evoke like a sense of mysticism. Mm -hmm. So, that mechanic is supposed to kind of complement the process of playing the game itself. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a little bit more experimental in some of my more recent game design, and I've been implementing stuff from other RPGs that I like to design for, like Lancer and other RPGs that I like to play. And I've been kind of picking things out that I think are relevant to the way that I want the game to be, the messages that I want the game to communicate.
0: And yeah, just to mention that, yeah, To Honour and Obey is a fascinating game. I really love the concept that you came up behind it, which I appreciate, it's like, oh, praise instantly. I'm always a big fan of using different tools or assets to create a story. So like using tarot cards, and I know it's not a unique thing to solo RPGs of using tarot cards, it's just, again, the way you sort of set it up as the premise of, like, you are a lady of uh, renown, but, you know, you're married to your husband who basically fucks off uh, for, for who knows what, and you're in charge of the keep, but also, you know, you're with child, and you don't have the loyalty of the people around you. And it's just like... God, again, getting into that experience, of like, yeah, that is easily something I can imagine. You work with several you know, uh, graphic artists, but all of your games have a very, this word is not stylized at all, but it's eye-catching. So like to honor and Bay one, again, it's a very beautiful sort of black and white image with the gold that really just stands out. It's just really beautiful. It's nice, I guess, from my point of view, so obviously you've got a very cool concept for all of your games, but also you have like artwork to really evoke what you're getting across from there. So we know when you pick up the book, say, oh, I know what this is about, which I I think not all RPGs do. And so I know what each of your games is about. I know exactly what I'm going to get out of it, even from the front cover and reading from the blurb as well. I would love for you to tell us about your latest Kickstarter, so Death Games. What is it and how does it stand out from other RPGs that are out there currently?
1: Death Game is, and yeah, I appreciate you having me on to talk about this, by the way, because it's part of my campaign against bite-sized marketing, where (laughs) I really hate to say, oh, well, this RPG is inspired by X meets X in a single tweet, and then it's, you know, that's just it, and you can't really explore the fullness of, of a topic. But Death Game is an RPG that's inspired by kind of Battle Royale Death Game media. Mm. So think like your Hunger Games, your Squid Games, your Battle Royale, your Alice in Borderlands. I'm just naming some of the more kind of like popular in the Western world examples because it is an English language podcast. (laughs) I think. This media has really got a big resurgence in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I don't really think that that's a coincidence. So it's a game that's kind of firstly dedicated to sort of emulating this genre, because I'm really surprised that this hasn't been done in an RPG before. Mm-hmm. It seems like the perfect kind of genre to emulate in an RPG. I mean, it's literally about a game. you know you're literally playing playing a game and the genre itself is always making allusions to role-playing games Mm -hmm. as well so it's strange that we haven't seen that kind of cross-pollination but it's also kind of again like an attempt to explore a little bit of what's made us in these days so interested in death games what's made squid games so popular for example and can we get a little bit of that into a like role-playing game experience
0: instantly when i sort of read the bio i was like oh yeah i was like 100 in like i know there's been a resurgence in a related to genre obviously you know we've got the traitors mm-hmm. uh the devil's plan etc the mole the idea that like, you're playing a game to win but in order to really win you have to kill off people metaphorically or accuse them or vote them out etc and it's always fascinating to watch those games certainly with with traitors i know that's that's my touchstone really for this it's not i know it's not exactly translated like one for one but it's just interesting to see how people play a game and pick up on certain things and that is the justification for their actions even though there's absolutely no no reason for them to do so Mm -hmm. and yeah using that idea of challenges as certainly like yes squid game that idea like to get to the end is a mixture of like you get the money but also you get out um, which again feels very dystopian, but it, it is that sort of thing which people watch. People watch these sort of shows because they want to see who gets through and who does what, et cetera. And that sort of meta commentary that you have is like, you know, spin off podcast talking about, like, oh, well, that's an interesting move, et cetera. And it's just kind of, it, it's such an interesting genre and you're right like it makes it so easy just to put it into a role-playing game like i could definitely think of times when i've done homebrew scenarios and i'm like it's a competition between all of you and it's just one big combat per se but then they have to see who wins and using the environment to their advantage and stuff so yeah instantly i was like oh So in Death Game, what are sort of the main standout mechanics that we can look forward to seeing?
1: So, yeah, I mean, I think this is an example of where I've picked mechanics to kind of really emulate the kind of play experience that I want people to have, which is actually to kind of, and I'll explain why later probably, but to break away from that, like you were saying, kind of like battle royale mentality where it's like player versus player and it's just this big kind of like slugging contest where ultimately like the non-played characters don't really get that much of an input they're just kind of there as backup and there's no real story or narrative Mm. to it so to counteract that I've basically come up with a system where your character creation is very simple you assign it Different size die to a few skills. You pick a background, which is your main skill. And then you pretty much go and you get a couple of items and then you pretty much go and play. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because death is literally around the corner mm-hmm. at any minute. The death process is really quite simple. Basically, every time you make a roll that could put you in danger, every time you make a skill check that is dangerous, which is pretty much all the time, you put a counter up by one. Mm -hmm. And then you make a death save against that counter. So the longer you play with your character, the longer your counter goes up and the more likely you are to die. And there's only a few ways to basically resist death. Mm -hmm. The flip side to that though is you're not really supposed to continue to play the same character for the whole time. Mm -hmm. And actually when your character dies, you take over running the game. Oh, cool. So you take over the GM seats.
0: Ooh, I love that.
1: So the game flips between players and GMs and the GM takes over a non-played character and turns them into a played character. Mm. And the game should cycle basically between uh, characters kind of dying off and exploring different aspects of the arena, different aspects of the challenges until you get down to only the same number of played characters as there are players. And that's Mm. when you kind of trigger your final showdown mechanic which i'm not going to spoil and uh you figure out who wins but the purpose behind this was in my opinion death games as a piece of me and these kind of social games you're talking about with kind of traitors and survivor that they may be slightly different mm. one of the things with like americanized reality tv is they tend to take something that's popular mm-hmm. and then strip away all of the themes and social commentary from it and then yes. just So, for example, Squid Game made a reality TV show version of Squid Game. I know. The most dystopian thing I can possibly imagine, (laughs) right? But one of the things about these kind of death game media is very often they're actually talking about how all of this competition is slowly killing us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how... It's utterly dystopian that these kind of individuals are here fighting for scraps, and it's usually kind of for the entertainment of or at the behest of the wealthy or the powerful Mm -hmm. in some way. I wanted to really give homage to that by actually trying to break out of this idea Mm -hmm. that this player versus player game has to be about competition Mm -hmm. and helping people to start to draw out a narrative, a, a story from it, and using this cycling player, GM, player played character, non-played character mechanic as a way to do so.
0: Yeah, I really love that mechanic. As you, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, excellent! It's, it's that sort of unknown stuff. So when your character, you know, is like, oh, now I have to take on that responsibility. I really love that, and just and it also means like this. Oh, this is where I can't remember what the actual thing is called. I know in DnD there's that whole thing of like, uh, kill all the gods or something like that, where you have like a coin or something and at any point you could play it and then you become uh, the dm until everyone goes around and i just i think that's just a way to share that load I mm-hmm. say and yeah you might have ideas etc and then somebody else comes up with a completely different way the story goes and you would not have got there without that changing of facilitators so like for something like this it, like what you think could be the worst thing that happens definitely isn't necessarily what everyone else thinks the worst thing could happen so i really like that just talking about then obviously you, as you said it's sort of the arena is it genre neutral in the sense that we could have it anywhere like could it be uh for example I is my where my brain is going so obviously as you said sort of battle royale so i can imagine being on an island trying to get to the center etc so, same with hunger games but even it could be just like, like a bake-off s type game you know like it could be different kinds of genres and uh, does it and will the uh final game come with ideas for play sets or, or random tables in that respect for a like a, a setting
1: yeah, so the game itself is designed so you determine your kind of social context through discussion. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of the actual, I guess, gimmick, all of these games have like a gimmick, right? Like mm-hmm. whether it's kind of squid game, where it's all like children's games, mm-hmm. or you know, all of the Hunger Games arenas have a different gimmick, you know, whether it's something much less refined, so they all mm-hmm. have something. And the idea is that you would determine that by secret ballot between the players nice. uh, and the GM, which who is another player in in Death Game, is for for the reasons that I've previously explained, and also because that's how the genre works. You know, the game masters are always actually a part of the storyline. Mm-hmm. You would vote on on that uh, gimmick yourself, so that then when you go into the arena, you really have no one to blame but yourself yeah. <laughs> uh, for what you're confronted by. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a bit of social commentary. But the other side of it is that I have plans and will be bringing out a second kind of scene alongside the main one, which is called Arenas, Mm -hmm. and that has some preset scenarios. That you can go through which will have come with different archetypes for non-played characters will come with different tables and will come with different like arena events as well to like mm-hmm. guide play a little bit more mm-hmm. so one of them is like a an entrance exam for university oh wow basically you play as these overachieving school students just graduating university who are about who you know, are about to kind of reap the results of all of that hard work mm-hmm. in, uh, in school by being thrown into the most deadly university application rate of their life. It's kind of based on a Sudoku grid and I don't want to give too many money. No, words.
0: no, no. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm like, I'm so interested. But yes, you don't want to give it away. You want people to come in and support the Kickstarter and stuff.
1: There's a lot of interesting things that you can do with that. And then Kayla, who's one of the guest writers, who's the stretch goal has already been met. She's writing one about like a private hospital mm-hmm. that offers people life-saving healthcare, but then forces them to fight for the death to leave mm. afterwards so that they can pay their bills. So uh, there's plenty more where that That's coming from basically and they will all deal with different
0: themes instantly i'm i'm sort of like yes i absolutely see the genre that you're going for but i can imagine just sitting down and be like okay there's probably hunger games because the only thing that i could come to because i'm very boring i'm very vanilla when it comes to games like that so being able to have and draw on some other people's like you said other scenarios and other ways that just makes it it just expands so much more because i think i read recently trophy gold by jess roth and just being able to like expand and be like here are places that I wouldn't necessarily consider uh, as a place to take my players for treasure uh, delving if you see what I mean and so you know you've got like old manor houses that could you know come traps all that sort of thing and it's not just constantly dungeon delving which is what my brain Mm. would go to I wanted to just briefly touch on the uncaged goddesses because you've got an adventure I actually was looking up with my copy, and I was like, "Yours is the first one in." As so I was like, "Oh, excellent!" So we've had um, Uncaged Goddesses on uh, my other podcast, uh, DM's Book Club, uh, the uh, Jess and David, and how they went through the process and why they sort of brought out uh, a high tier D and D book around sort of uh, evil and neutral goddesses. For me, I find that a lot of published adventures that come out are aimed at very low level party members, people, but maybe new to D and D. We rarely get high level. Content, certainly ones that deal with gods, it's unlikely that you're going to meet them, perhaps, unless it's a homebrew stuff. So, just from your point of view, if you could talk about uh, the adventure that you wrote and how was that for you writing a high level adventure? How was that process, I guess?
1: The thing about high level adventures in DD is that you have to bring in new stakes. This is the case in any adventure system and to be honest I would say that this should be the case at any level as well but obviously in, in d d kind of it's built in the lower period at least around kind of gold and not dying and that's okay that's what the system is built around in a higher level adventure those things are no longer the concern so you have to bring in new states and you especially have to pull emotional levers a lot more than you necessarily need to in in earlier uh, tiers. So the idea for writing and the the adventure that I pitched on Cage Goddesses, which was an absolute joy to work on, was based on an Adventurers League series that I had run, which was itself based on Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which is a great adventure book. It's very beautiful. It's very scenic. It's got a lot of flavor to it. But unfortunately, it doesn't, you know, it sets up all of these amazing stakes in terms of, oh, my God, you've got this evil goddess, but she's never given any like real motivation as to why she's doing the things that she's doing.
0: Yeah.
1: And also, like, the aural stat block is extremely underpowered. Yeah. And so you end up with this situation where... Everything is set up in such an amazing, flavorful way. But when you actually bite into it, there's no flavor. So it smells good, but it doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the intention with my venture for Uncage Goddess. So I made to try and give Aurel a bit of a backstory, mm. a bit of a motivation. So if people don't know this, actually canonically in Forgotten Realms, Aurel has a child called Nalkara, who I think shows up in Dungeon of the Mad Mage (laughs) somewhere. (laughs) I decided to bring her back in and kind of have her as this kind of like emotional high point of the adventure. And also to write new ritual rules, which are challenging Mm -hmm. and are intended to provide really high stakes to even a very high level party, just to bring in some actual risk and some actual sacrifice to the mix
0: reading through the adventure just it again goes to that emotion because again all all the adventures in Uncaged Goddesses obviously I go I know they have the content ones but it does focus on like why the goddesses are who they say they are and why they act in such a way because exactly what you said so often mm-hmm. you have a very interesting like incredibly flavoursome thing and then you're like why would they care what mm-hmm. why are they doing these things I felt a little bit similar to um uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight to an extent. Like, there's some sort of interesting, they had a little bit of interest, but it wasn't really for me as fleshed out as it could be with the Coven, the sisters essentially, and obviously Tasha in the end. And it's just, so I really appreciate the care that you actually took uh, with describing Aurel and just making it clear. Because I think sometimes, as you said, like D&D has this sort of, we're adventurous, we're good, we're going to do the thing. X, hooray, we saved the town, princess. Prints were all fine, etc. Whereas this, I instantly could see this as being quite an emotional, as well as a very high stake and actually quite scary adventure. Like, there's a lot to lose mm-hmm. just being able to connect with something which, up until then, how would you connect with it? Because you have no idea. It's like gods are people too, which I don't know, it sounds like that's how I see it anyway. That this idea of a uh, peeing with immense power and ability, and yet they feel grief and they feel sadness on a level that we can just barely grasp so so yeah i think that's the reason i really was bringing up because i just really appreciate the portrayal of that and i think that's a theme in all of your games as well is that just being able to we could tap into this thing and actually Realize that there's more to role-playing games that just like hack and slash, and I think that's the same for all the uncaged goddesses' adventures.
1: Well, I think with that, I mean, it was okay to say that, like, you know, the winter goddess is cold, right? Like, it makes sense, but there yeah. should be some some height and kind yeah. of emotion, and there should be some mythology to that. So, I had some uh, poetry written. Yes. Yeah. For the adventure and it talks about, you know, this like unthawing throne wife, right? Talks about someone that's cold and someone that's a a force of nature and, you know, you can't get in the way of and kind of puts that in very epic terms. But it's okay to say that and also to say, well, yeah, you know, there is still like a a backstory to that individual. There are still things that that goddess cares about. Mm -hmm might not be the case for example when I actually played through the adventure you know it wasn't the case that like now Kara and Ariel actually had this like amazing reunion where they loved each other you know their relationship was also very cold and you can see this in the way that Ariel treats like her servants that she has around her in the adventure like you know She's a complex character. Not not a good character. No,
0: no, not at all. Yeah, being complicated is it's okay. I think sometimes certain adventures do paint paint them quite maybe because of word count, maybe because of like time, etc. So yeah, no, I feel that.
1: There's other stuff in there that actually got cut out, like in that adventure, like you know when they go into the uh, like the library, mm-hmm. and there there actually was like a lesbian romance between Mistra and the keeper of the library that got cut out. the oh. Time, uh, well, lack of word count actually, but you know all of that stuff is in there somewhere, and there was loads of like mythology about kind of the nature of the weave that had to be cut out, mm-hmm. probably for the best.
0: <laughs> no, not true. Not true. If somebody wanted to play uh, any of your games, obviously, you know, uh, Lichcraft, a death game coming out, if you've got any advice for a GM running your games for the first time, what would it be?
1: I would say that a game is, is largely made up of the assumptions that people bring to the table very often when I'm playing. And this can be a bit of a hindrance but it can also be a good thing. So I want people to carry their experiences into my games. But I also think like it is worth being a bit kind of genre savvy mm-hmm.
0: and reading
1: around, like for example, for Death Game, I've written an essay about the genre and about kind of what some of the design intents were behind the game that I'm actually publishing later today. Mm-hmm. Um which I'm hoping will give people a little bit of clarity so they don't come into the game thinking this is just going to be like a competitive slogging exercise between me and my friends. Mm -hmm. And they come in thinking a little bit more about what this genre actually means right now. What does it mean to feel like you're playing against the odds? Mm -hmm. Uh, What does it mean to feel like the system is rigged and actually bring some of that experience into the games, right? Same with Hieronymus, you know you can play it however you want but I think it's best to not come with oh I know exactly what this art means Mm -hmm. and actually allow the interpretation to flow out at the table like through the process of interacting with the artwork that's there in the game Mm -hmm. because you get a much more complete picture that way and the best uh the best stories come in our interactions they don't come like from our heads fully
0: formed and just to mention with hieronymus as well having the character sheets on as bookmarks uh, again i really love that uh, sort of element of it because it just feels so different beautiful bookmarks as well yeah very uh like with the obviously the theme of Bosch in them as well i that for me instantly was like oh this is different and being able to have it and use it as well uh, like having it for as a multi-use <laughs> element What can you tell us about any other projects that you're working on this year? If there is any, I appreciate you might be like, I'm just thinking about Death Game just now. I don't have time to think about anything else, but if there's any other projects that are coming up, what can we look forward to, I guess?
1: Well, I've been working on Death Game since 2021. So there is certain things have a bit of a longer creative process for me, and it takes a while for me to kind of bring them fully formed into the world. And I have cover art done for a few games that I don't think are going to see the light for at least another few years. One thing that I am working on is a game about the free press and journalism, Mm -hmm. and it's the premise is that you play a kind of journalist in a fantasy kingdom which is thrown into a war and your freedom to write becomes solely restricted by the editorial process Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like supposed to be like the papers please of ttrpgs that's that's my intention of it so it's supposed to make you interact with kind of these rules and there's like editorial mechanics and things so Oh. that's on the go at the moment it's very complicated because I have to write like a whole set of, of news cycles and I have to write a mm-hmm. new editorial process for each one mm-hmm. but when that comes out I think it will be if not popular at least thought-provoking
0: yeah absolutely so is, would that be a solo game or is that a group game
1: it will probably be a solo game
0: yeah
1: although actually I Hadn't thought about making a group game, but it could be even more fun to kind of pass around.
0: I mean, instantly when you said it, I was like, oh yeah, paper please, and then you said papers please. I was like, Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I it'll be cool to do this as a group game again. Well, you know you, but I was just like, oh, that could be really cool to do it as a group and see what gets censored and stuff. Yeah,
1: I think that would be fun. But yeah, it's right now it's in the process of me actually writing out a bit of a storyline to guide yeah. like. process that this journalist goes on where you should end up by the end kind of like completely domesticated by uh, public opinion Mm. and that could be kind of an interesting play experience
0: or not again I think as much as it's like they should be fun RPG should be fun but yeah I I do see them as a sort of a way to teach and, and educate as well so I think as long as you gain something from it and it's okay to sit with those feelings I guess enjoyable experience or not I think so I I definitely would be keen to play something along those rounds that sounds really Mm. awesome Laurie thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about your games if people want to find out more about you or where they can find updates to Death Game and and your other work where can they find you? So
1: unfortunately I'm still on Twitter at (laughs) Laurie underscore triple E, E E E and I have a mailing list which can maybe be linked to But also if you just look for like Kickstarter death game, you'll find it. And I'm I'm happy with where it's at so far, but I think maybe like, I haven't had the opportunity really on the Kickstarter page to explore what the game is really for and, and what it kind of would mean to me. Mm-hmm. to have it really be funded and meet all of its stretch goals and really kind of expand into its fullness. So if you are thinking about kind of backing something this February, I would really appreciate at least kind of the consideration.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, will it be open for back kit, like late pre-orders and stuff like that?
1: It will be, yeah. I will be opening a late pre-order campaign later down the line. But then they can just sign up to my mailing list and they'll hear
0: about all of that. Oh Laurie, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today.
1: Thank you very much. It's great as always and hopefully I'll see you soon.
0: I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is whatamyrollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.